TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. You know, I thought that... Daniel uh, Daniel Zadrowski from the last hour was great. We have that posted in the podcast now at KMOX.com, or you can find a link to it. I'll be posted on Facebook and uh, Twitter here soon. The KMOX Rewind link, so you can go straight to it. Works out pretty well. And a little bit later on, we'll be able to post this interview as well. He's a public policy analyst, also a professor of finance at Stockton University. Dr. Michael Bussler, welcome back to Overnight America. Well, thanks for having me, Ryan. It's my pleasure to be here. I, I think you're a great guest because you're always very good at analyzing what is happening as it's happening and give us an idea of what that could indicate. And there's a few things I wanted to talk about when it comes to the markets. We're seeing them go up and down somewhat. We had another update where, you know, you know the, the 30,000 range is pretty great for the Dow. I'm kind of curious. Um, we saw all this online money, online shopping going on what you'd expect, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, things like that. We're still seeing some areas that have a shutdown. People look at this and they say, well, I guess people still have money. They're still spending it. But then there's a large portion of the country that is still very much hurting. So it's it's weird because you see a lot of struggles and you see a lot of wealth moving around at the very same time. So I'm kind of curious what you think the impact of online shopping will have and really actual brick and mortar retailers trying to keep up with things like that. Okay, so let's first, uh, your first comment was about the stock market and how it's fluctuating, and now it's at record highs. Um, basically, recall before the virus, the economy was really in good shape. It looked like we were going to have our best growth year probably since the year 2000. Of course, then the uh, virus hit and things uh, went into a recession, which we're coming out of. The, the stock market believes as soon as we can get this virus under control, that the economy is poised to take off under the current um, guidelines and, and laws and things. So the economic policy, the economy is set to take off. So every time something comes out about a vaccine about to be approved, about to be distributed, that's great news for the stock market. And that's really what's uh, driving the market up. I think in the next month uh, or so, as these vaccines start to uh, be distributed, the market is going to react even more positively uh, to that, and that'll carry into uh, next year, uh, and then we'll see what happens with whoever ends up being president and what the economic policy is. Regarding the second point, so prior to the uh, virus, there was a trend for people to buy less at brick-and-mortar and more uh, online, and we saw some um, brick-and-mortar retailers file bankruptcy, 
Uh, there are many shopping malls that hadn't been doing that well. Um, and then, uh, of course, in retailing, um, most retailers roughly do about 40% of their annual sales uh, in the fourth quarter of the year, so tied into the uh, Christmas season. So it's very important that they get uh, sales during that time. And historically, uh, the Christmas buying season started right around Thanksgiving, and the day after Thanksgiving, they always had ridiculous sales. So people would literally um, go uh, line up in front of the door uh, the night before to be able to get in to take advantage of these. The um, Internet, um, as it was growing, said, look, we need a day like this, too. So we set up Cyber Monday, which is the Monday after Thanksgiving, and that has gradually grown uh, very rapidly. So now we come to 2020. Um, because people have been either uh, forced to stay in their house or uh, if they do go out, uh, they're not allowed to go into a lot of places and where they can go, there's a lot of res restrictions. So people are saying, boy, it's hard to go out and buy anything. Uh, maybe this online shopping is um, a pretty good thing. Uh, and companies like Amazon and Walmart and Target started to cater to that. So what we had this year was the retailers said, look, we're not going to have any big Thanksgiving rush. People just aren't going to come out to the stores. In some states, they may not be allowed to go to the stores. So let's start this, um, the discount period and the big sales and things. Let's start them uh, on the beginning of November, and we'll run these online sales uh, all month. So what we saw was... Um, Cyber Monday did real well. Black Friday was a real bust. And I think we're looking at the trend uh, going forward, people buying more online and less at brick and mortar. Mm. I wanted to follow up with something you mentioned at the at the onset there. And joining us is Dr. Michael Bussler. He's a professor of finance at Stockton University, a public policy analyst. I'm curious with the economy. So you look at the yeah. way the uh, the stock markets have been reacting and they've been pretty positive. There's been some yeah. pretty stark contrasts between how President Trump has handled the economy versus how Joe Biden said he would handle the economy. So I'm wondering if you think that investors and companies and businesses almost like have their hand on a ripcord. They're watching this very closely and they're waiting to see, OK, as soon as some of these very friendly economic policies that Trump put in place, as soon as we start getting the word that these are going to be taken back, do you feel like there could be like uh, they're going to pull that ripcord and they're going to say, all right, we're going to back off our investments because we're afraid of what's happening next? So if um, the Republicans hang on to the Senate, and that will depend on the two runoff elections in Georgia on January 5th, if they hang on to the majority, it will be very difficult for Biden to get um, much of his tax policy through. So let's assume that that happens. Um, if, if that does happen, he can't get a lot of the major policies through, but the tendency for Biden will be to uh, raise taxes, um, increase government spending on a lot of social programs. Now, when he raises taxes, that tends to slow economic growth. What investors are most worried about um, is that Biden said he wants to raise the corporate income tax from 21 percent, which Trump lowered it to from 35 down to 21. He wants to raise it up to 28 percent. So that's one third more in taxes corporations will be paying. And as a result of that, their net income is going to go down. And that means their stock price is likely to um, go down also. 
The other thing that um, the market may be fearful of sometime in the early uh, Biden term, he's also talking about raising the capital gains tax, which currently is 20 percent or 23.8 if it's a big gain. Uh, He wants to raise it so it's treated more like ordinary income, taxing it as high as 40 percent. That, too, will have a very negative effect on business activity, a negative effect on corporate profits, and therefore a negative effect on the um, stock market. So the current uh, good news in the stock market is because the uh, vaccines are coming and we should be able to get back to normal maybe by sometime next spring. And um, the current economic policies will continue to encourage recovery. There's probably a stimulus package maybe that might get passed in the next week or two. So the relatively short term, next three, six, nine months, things look real good. After that, it depends on what Biden is able to get through. Yeah, we've been really walking this hour by hour, it seems like, updates on a stimulus. And I know that the markets do react positively to the influx of money, even though we're just driving ourselves further into debt. But um, it does at least give some some confidence when it comes to investments. I was reading just recently, so there was a bipartisan, and they they use that, but, you know, not really, but kind of bipartisan effort to try to put a skinny stimulus in. Mitch McConnell, just in the last couple of hours, kind of said, eh, not so much. I feel like there's a plan that he and the president have agreed on. The president may force something through here, and they're saying that they want to get it done before they come up to the next budget issues, which is, what, 10 days away? I think December 11th is what we're looking at. Yeah, so we we could even see something, uh, maybe the skinny plan that the Republicans proposed before get pushed through. We just don't know. There's only other questions. I I do have one other question for you. And uh, joining us here is Dr. Michael Bussler Uh, with uh, Joe Biden, the return of Janet Yellen. We've seen some stuff from her in the past. I'm curious what you think uh, she'll do, given the position that they're talking about her joining with the Biden administration. Yeah, so she was um, uh, head of the Council of Economic Advisors under Obama and a chairperson of the Federal Reserve. Uh, she's a liberal um, economist. Uh, she teaches at uh, Cal Berkeley. Um, she's going to favor um, and not think it's so bad to have a fairly large deficit. She'll have the Federal Reserve, at least encourage the Federal Reserve uh, to accommodate that deficit with uh, the right monetary policy. Um, what I'm afraid with with her is she's going to also uh, recommend tax increases. So aside from what Biden has already suggested, uh, she, too, feels that um, tax rates should be uh, higher. Uh, so she's going to support everything that um, Joe Biden wants to do and has said he's going to do, um, which I think is going to be, and especially in the longer term, very negative for the U.S. economy. Oh, boy. All right. So it's good to try to forecast these things. I think that looking forward. Uh, Never a dull moment, I guess. There's always something going on in the way things move around. Um, You know, one other thing I might as well ask you on, and I'm just kind of curious. You talk about tax increases um, and Janet Yellen and some of the things that will go there. One of the big issues I think we're going to be running into is a housing issue because you have some of the different eviction uh, moratoriums that are going to be lifting possibly at the end of the year. So you could see a lot of evictions, things like that. What do you think that'll do when it comes to the housing markets? We've seen some issues where like in 2008, there was housing issues and it just crashed the economy. I mean, we had a real tough time after something like that. And I'm wondering what you think 
what we're looking towards. You have people that may be evicted. You have landlords that aren't getting money. You know, all of a sudden they're going to be asking millions of people, hey, you owe us like five, six months back rent. There's no way they're going to be able to pay that. And what is that going to mean for the markets in general if that happens? Well, so um, I, I think for the, the uh, housing market in general, it's not going to have a huge impact. The housing sales are way up. Construction of new houses are way up. In some places, uh, houses are um, being sold for more than asking price. Uh, so the housing market is strong. Now, the rental market, as you mentioned, it was illegal to evict anybody uh, up until the end of the year. After that, I don't know if Congress is going to do anything or not, but after that, there will be um, a whole lot of evictions. Um, I, I think when you look at the big picture, I don't expect any uh, drastic negative actions as a result of that. Because what will happen, people will be evicted. They still need some place to live. So they'll go to another apartment where somebody else has already been evicted. <laughs> uh, who's really going to get hurt by this is yeah. the landlord. Because uh, they've had mortgages that they've had to pay and you know six, seven, eight months go by, they're going to be in, in trouble. So you could see um, some bank foreclosures on rental units. Um, I, so that I could see happening. But if it does, um, because the housing market is so strong and housing prices are up, the rental market will also be fairly strong because some people can't afford to buy new houses. They have to move into um, rental units. So it'll still be strong. You'll just see sort of a transfer of ownership. Some of the people that own it may go into uh, foreclosure. Other investors will come in buy it at um, reduced market prices, uh, that is prices below market. Um, and the market will, I think, adjust to that without a whole lot of um, disruption. So I'm not real worried about that. You feel kind of badly for the people that get evicted. Um, although if they haven't paid their rent in seven or eight months and they're still working, maybe they do have some money so they'll be able to go to another apartment. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. Well, it's so a different situation of what hurt the markets back in 2008 and really put uh, a, a difficult time for a lot of people. Completely different, but thank you for explaining that. And if people wanted to look some of your work, I know that you actively write and you have great articles online. If people wanted to look you up, where can they find you? So a couple places. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at mbustler. That's at M-B-U-S-L-E-R. I tweet out each of my columns. And if you have a Facebook page, I have a Facebook page called Funding Democracy. So if you're just on your Facebook, just search in the Facebook box, Funding Democracy, and all my columns come up there. Great. Dr. Michael Bussler, a public policy analyst, professor of finance at Stockton University in Funding Democracy on Facebook. You can find them there in the articles. Thank you so much for coming on to KMOX. Thank you. My pleasure. Look forward to doing it again, Ryan. He is one of the best. I always enjoy when he comes onto the show and he joins us on the Quiver River Electric Guest Line on Overnight America KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. And oh boy, welcome back. I thought that was some good talk there with uh, Dr. Michael Bussler. I wanted to just follow up on some of the talks about a stimulus package. I was planning on talking about it a little bit later and we'll do that after 10 o'clock. So I'm sure if you got some thoughts or comments on it, we can discuss it then because we do have another guest in about 10 minutes. His name is Neil Romano. He's a chairman of the National Council on Disability, and he'll discuss the unemployment rate among disabled people. And that's the problem. We see a return of you know jobs, but are people that are disabled getting those jobs? And the answer is no. Uh, it's They're not 
they're not getting the same opportunity. So I wanted to talk to him about that in general, at least give some exposure to the idea that there are certain demographics of people that are having a hard time getting their jobs back. So we'll talk about that. One thing I wanted to bring up was the second stimulus package because we'll, we'll again, in about a half hour, a little after 10 o'clock, maybe 45 minutes from now, we'll, we'll do it. But the idea of a stimulus package getting through in the next week or so is kind of foreign to me, almost because we've been talking about another round of this stimulus for months now and nothing happened. I thought for sure they would get something done August, September, and then all of a sudden November hits and it's the election and still nothing. We're coming up to the point where they need to find a way to fund the government again. We could have another partial government shutdown by December 11th if they don't get something through. And here we are now where a bipartisan group of Republicans, and I use that in kind of quotes because when you say Susan Collins from Maine, you think, okay, that's not really, it's not like the most bipartisan. You're not talking about uh, Rand Paul, right? You're not talking about Ted Cruz, the ones that are much further right than Susan Collins, who in a lot of cases, um, you would even question if that's an R next to her name or not. But that's understandable. I mean, some areas are different than others in what's considered a Republican or Democrat or whatever. She seems to uh, make it work. But when that's why I'm putting bipartisan in quotes at a moment like this. So what's happening is that there is this plan, a $908 billion package that was brought up regarding the stimulus. Here's what they think they should do. Boom, 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 right? Here's let's get some more money for PPP. Let's get this and that. Let's give some more money for states. And the whole skinny of it is we're not going to give out any stimulus checks to individuals, no individual checks. To me, this is the most uh, easiest way to try to get something through. Um, In fact, there's a lot of debate if we even need a second round of checks. Now, don't get me wrong. It's all fun and good. And you think, oh, this is so wonderful. The government's going to give me free money, free money. We all know that it's number one, not free. And number two, we know that it pushes us even further into debt. It's uh, Mitt Romney, I think, said it the best. Here's part of uh, Mitt Romney's thing about this other relief bill. I don't like borrowing money. I don't like spending money we don't have. But the time to borrow money, maybe the only time to borrow money is when there's a crisis. And this is a crisis. We want to help people at this particular time. All right. And this doesn't necessarily help people. It'll help states and other things. Now, $908 billion is still a lot. If you add a little bit extra to it, you'd do the individual checks and some of the other things that would go into helping schools that may not be a part of the skinny bill. I think the senators that want to get this through are mostly getting it through because at least it's something and it'll at least give some relief in areas that are necessary ahead of trying to fund the government. Now, Mitch McConnell comes in and says, oh, not so fast. I do a pretty good Mitch McConnell, don't I? Oh, not so fast because uh, we still have control. Obviously. Wait, you don't think I do a good Mitch McConnell? Here. All right, listen to Mitch McConnell, then I'll do Mitch McConnell. Obviously, it does require bipartisan support to get. Obviously, it does require bipartisan support. See, you couldn't tell the, you couldn't tell the difference between the two. Support to get out of the Congress, but it requires a presidential signature, and this government is in place for sure for the next month. And I think the place to start is: Are we actually making a law, or are we just? making a point. Very good. And then Joe Biden comes out and says this. Right now, the full Congress should come together and pass a robust package for relief to address these urgent needs. But any package passed in a lame duck session 
is likely to be at best just a start. All right. So this is Biden says, go ahead, do what you want. You know, you can put something that's a scaled down bill in place. We're just going to go and spend more when I'm in office. <laughs> He's basically saying, oh, this is cute. You're going to play this game. So even if you do negotiate something lower right now, just wait until I'm in power. I'm going to force something bigger in. Oh, boy. Now, going back to what Michael, uh, Dr. Bustler said, I, he pointed out that when this runoff in Georgia could determine the control of the Senate. Now, if the Republicans don't have a control in the Senate, they lose some of their leverage. And then basically things could get pushed through that the Republicans wouldn't want to see pushed through. There would be no checks and balances uh, with the majority that way, unless there were some dissenting votes from one side to the other, which could seem unlikely with the power structure of the Democrats today. So what does that mean? Um, This is your last chance to try to get one stimulus bill. So does that give leverage to the Pelosi's and the Schumer's of the world? Yeah, it does. I mean, they may want to wait this thing out or they could just think to themselves, we could just pass something now and then do the Joe Biden thing, which is if we get power back in, then we'll just pass more and more and more and puts us even further into debt. We got some major issues when it comes to debt. Like I said, I, I just wanted to piggyback off of what Dr. Bustler brought up. How about we do this? We'll, we'll save the bigger discussion of this until after 10 o'clock. So if you want to talk about this, we'll do it after 10 in about a half hour. Joining us next is the chairman of the National Council on Disability, Neil Romano. And I'm looking forward to talking to him. The unemployment rate's fluctuating. It didn't go as high as we thought. It's continuing to lower. We're getting people back to work. But there's a certain class of people that aren't going back to work. It's people with disabilities. So we're going to talk to him about that next on Overnight America KMOX. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. News Radio 1120 KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. And Overnight America continues. It's always good to be with you each and every weeknight on Facebook, Ryan Recker Radio. That's how you can find me on there. Joining us now is the chairman of the National Council on Disability to discuss the unemployment rate among those in the disabled community, Neil Romano. Thank you again for coming on to KMOX. Brian, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this was something that I. it seems to be swept under the rug. People don't talk about it. We know that we went through a pretty tough time in the country where unemployment rate was continuing to rise. People were losing their jobs. But then there was a point where the recovery happened and people were regaining jobs. They were finding positions. But I was kind of, um, I, I, I never thought that there would be certain groups of people that would have a difficult time in getting their jobs back. And as it turns out, the slow rate of reemployment seems to be those within the disabled community. And I'm glad that you're on to talk about it tonight. Well, that, that is absolutely true, Ryan. You know, I think one of the things you have to remember is that even in the best of times, 
uh, people with disabilities are twice as likely to be unemployed as any other American and twice as likely to live in poverty. So uh, generally, when they do have jobs, they hang on to them. So when you have a situation now where you have something like COVID and people with disabilities tend not to be what you would call essential workers many times. Those are the ones who, you know, they've, they've lost their job or they've been furloughed and it's going to be very, very hard for them to come back. But I think that's something that we at the National Council on Disabilities have to pay. We're, well, we're paying a lot of attention to it and bringing it to the intention of employers and people in the country to remember those folks, um, you know, remember those folks uh, as a priority. Yeah. Part of what we see, and we even had this in our news, where they were talking to different restaurants in uh, areas in the St. Louis County. St. Louis County just implemented some new restrictions when it came to dining, eating, things like that. It's a little bit different in our area because, you know, the city of St. Louis is its own entity. And then it's surrounded by the county of St. Louis, which is a different entity. And then there's another large area, St. Charles County. And each of them have their own regulations and the way they handle things. And one of the clips that they played on the news that stood out to me was where you have a business owner talking about we had to go through and because we can't have dine-in, we had to uh, we had to let a lot of our staff go. Anyone that wasn't with us for 15 or 20 years, we had to decide to, to, to cut back. And I started to wonder, with all of those different cutbacks, are the people with disabilities, are they sometimes the very first ones that are considered for something like that? And I think the unemployment numbers you start to see may indicate that that could very well be the type of uh, demographic that has hit the hardest in this when there are increased restrictions in there. So I, I was kind of curious maybe if we can talk about the way that these restrictions have hurt different industries and those with disabilities inside of those industries and what you think could be done about it. Well, first of all, you're absolutely right. Uh, it, it always seems to work like that. The last one on the boat, you know, is the first one off the boat in times of, uh, in times of trouble. Uh, and uh, once again, if you have people that are considered non-essential, uh, you're talking about a specific group of people in this regard. You know, the folks that the folks that we come to appreciate and love and don't realize when they're gone, but but we need them. People who bag, people who work in kitchens, people who work in the back. There are so many areas um, in uh, in retail, in in big uh, in, in big box retail where people with disabilities were just starting to get a really nice foothold um, into the economy. As a matter of fact, over the last uh, four years, um, the uh, unemployment rate for people with disabilities was really cut pretty drastically. So we're going to see in, in areas like I think one of them you mentioned that's going to be one of the most difficult is going to be the restaurant industry. Uh, quite frankly, the restaurant industry is uh, is not faring well regardless because it is always, it's always a tenuous industry. But that's one of the industries that's done a remarkably good job in hiring people with disabilities. They're very committed to it. So we're going to see some problems there. So it, it once again, as we begin to recover, it becomes incumbent upon us to say, okay, you know, where do we, you know, where, who do we put back in these positions? And quite frankly, if you look at some of the materials that have come out recently, if businesses take a closer look, Accenture, for instance, did a, a huge report that proved that people with disabilities were as or more productive in the job, on the job and as or more valuable to the bottom line of businesses because they tend to be much, much more attentive to their work uh, I think they need to look at things like that and realize they shouldn't be the last ones back on. They need to be people that need to come in with the rest of the group. 
Mm. When we look at the the pure numbers of this sort of thing, and I don't know if you have this statistic, but I'm curious if you know how many people with disabilities are in the labor force right now. Well, I don't have that specific uh, number, um, but I can tell you it's a difficult it's a difficult number to know because first of all, what we do know is um, that people uh, are in the workforce. People with disabilities are in the workforce at different levels. What we do know is, as I said before, they're twice as likely to be unemployed. But we have a lot of people who with disabilities who work um, who are underemployed, people who only work a few hours a week who would love to work full time, um, but they can't because they're afraid to lose their benefits, which is really a crime in this country. Uh, there's absolutely no reason why a young person, uh, let's say, with Down syndrome or autism, um, should lose their benefits or be, have to be worried about their health care or the SSDI or something because they take a job. This is what we do, unfortunately, that force these poor people into a, uh, well, these wonderful folk into a cycle of poverty that's almost impossible to get out of. We don't really even know. Uh, I have been the chairman of NCD for uh, almost three years. I've been on in the disability field, including as assistant secretary of labor for disability policy. And no one has ever been able to tell me the value to the American economy of not uh, uh, of not giving someone the opportunity to work a full time job if they can, even if they receive benefits. So you probably have seen over the last couple of years when the unemployment rate continued to drop, drop and drop. And that was something that was probably a, a, a huge deal for people with disabilities because mm-hmm. it probably offered a lot more opportunities with there's more jobs being offered out there. So how do we get back to the point where we can reverse some of the gains that were lost over this time? What do you uh, I, I know we kind of uh, you, you talked about in general with some of these things, but let's say mm-hmm. there's a, a Biden administration coming in or anything else. What are some of those things you would encourage his administration to do in order to try to make sure that those with disabilities are not forgotten? Well, one of the things that I think we should do right away is that we should include people with disabilities uh, in the SBA opportunity to get loans as a um, as a as a special needs population. You know, they're not they're not considered that way, so they can't open businesses. And by the way, entrepreneurism is one of the biggest things that people with disabilities have exploded in in the last few years, but they don't have the right to do the same kinds of things to get loans as other populations who are targeted in that area. They don't get the same training. They don't get the same opportunity to have people help them with their business plans and things like that. That's something that we can do constructively right away. And the other thing is to have a conversation with America, a much, much more concise conversation through the federal government to people that are uh, that that purchase things, uh, that sell things to the federal government and other entities, that this is something that we have a regulation called 503 that says they're supposed to hire people with disabilities. We need to enforce that a little bit more aggressively, and we need to let people know that that exists. Mm. You know, I, I'm always... Um... I think it's important that we do talk about these things. And a lot of times I know that as a head of an organization that deals with this day in and day out, uh, Neil Romano joining us, chairman of the National Council on Disability. I got to say, it wasn't until I saw this email that I even 
thought about this. So I think a big portion mm -hmm. of what you're doing, just trying to get the word out there is very important. I know that there are a lot of business owners that listen to shows and I'm sure you're on many other radio shows, TV shows, things like that, uh, talking about this sort of thing. I think a big thing is just recognizing that there is this problem and this need that needs to be addressed. And I'm glad that you're doing it. Well, Ryan, I really, really appreciate it. And quite frankly, you know, I mean, it's uh, I, I respect the fact that you've seen this as something that you feel should be brought forward and gave me this opportunity. So, yes, indeed, that has always been part of what I have done um, in all of my career is is try to make people understand what it is and get the message out using you know great mediums like this. So if people wanted to learn more about what you're doing at the National Council on Disability, maybe they are interested in reading up on some of the issues you brought up, or in particular, they may know someone that could uh, could use some information, where could they go? Well, we have a website. Uh, it's ncd.gov, ncd.gov, probably one of the easiest ones around. And on there, you can find uh, all of our all of our papers, you can find research reports, you can find uh, individual speeches and things that make clear what some of the issues are here in the United States. And obviously, we, are, we also are modern and we have Facebook and, uh, and everything else. So going there, you can get an awful lot of information that will help you understand the problems, but even more important, help you if you're a parent or you're a grandparent or you're someone who is a member of your family with disability, help you understand what the needs and the things are that they uh, are they're entitled to. Good. One last question is that when we talk about the recovery and a lot of economists said they were looking for a V-shaped recovery, which is you got to, you know, when the coronavirus hit, markets closed, we saw a big decline. And then all of a sudden we were starting to rebound with it fairly quickly. So a V-shaped recovery. If you were to forecast mm -hmm. um, in trying to look at the, the, the employment of those with disabilities, do you foresee that to be a V-shaped recovery as well? Or do you think it's going to be a harder sell to get back to the levels you were prior or i guess before the coronavirus well frankly you know i think it could be a v-shaped recovery because i think people with disabilities who have jobs and have been on the job have proven themselves dramatically to be extremely valuable uh, i had a conversation just recently with one of america's largest corporations uh, and they explained to me uh, in the in the hotel industry and they said to me we realize that we can't do without these folks. They weren't essential, but as soon as we have that time, we're going to bring them right back. And, you know, we're all hoping and praying, quite frankly, in the field that that's the way it is. But it's also information and things like this, having conversations like this, that don't just bring people back, but also add people with disabilities to the economy. Wow. Well, this is good. One more time, if people wanted to find out more about the National Council on Disability, what's the website? It's ncd.gov. Perfect. And Neil Romano, uh, Neil Romano, chairman at the National Council on Disability. Thank you so much for coming on, spending time with us tonight on KMOX. Thank you very much, Ryan. Great, great to be with you. And he joins us on the Quiver River Electric Guest Line. Make sure to check them out again, ncd.gov. This is Overnight America KMOX. This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com on KMOX. And welcome back to Overnight America. <laughs> I want to read this one text message because we will talk stimulus package 
after 10 o'clock. We got about five, six minutes here, but uh, I, there's something else I wanted to get to. One person texted in, your Mitch McConnell sounds like a Marlon Brando mid-ham sandwich. I thought I did a very good job at my Mitch McConnell impersonation. Let's try it again. As I've said repeatedly, we have this government for the next three weeks for sure. And what I'm focusing on is trying to accomplish as much as we can. Uh, trying to accomplish as much as we can. And what I'm focusing on is trying to accomplish as much as we can. You can't tell the difference between the two, I'm sure. During this three-week period, which requires dealing with the government that we have right now. Uh, which requires dealing with the government we have right now. Dealing with the government that we have right now. It sounds exactly like it. Stop it! So sounds Marlon Brando mid-ham sandwich. Who texted that? Which is <laughs> some pretty good impersonations. Uh, it's probably not as good as my Bernie Sanders impersonation. I could do a pretty strong Bernie Sanders if I really want to. Just a quick preview of it. But there's a we'll, we'll get into the stimulus thing and the quotes and the comments on it and what could be happening next there. I wanted to mention this one story at KMOX.com and a lot of different news outlets have been reporting this and pointing this out. Homicides nearly double over the past 10 years in St. Louis City. So if you go back 10 years, what it looks like, we've already surpassed our five-year high. Uh, we're at 243 homicides in the city of St. Louis right now. Did that go down? Were we 244 yesterday? Did they take one off the board? But we saw that, um, let's see, instruments used of those um, 329 firearms, four were bladed weapon, five were fist, hand, feet, and one was unknown. Some of those, I guess, violent uh, crimes not always resulting in a homicide, but some cases could be looked at that way if there's a shooting. Um, and you go back and you look at the demographics of those that are really hit hard. You're talking about minors at the age of 17 and under. You have 17 of those homicides were under the age of 17, 17 and under. Uh, if you want to go up to 19, so those that are 19 and under, add another 14 on top of that. And even between the ages of 20 and 29, you're looking at uh, roughly 100, 100 homicides of those. So add all those things together. I mean, you got a pretty big chunk of this under the age of 30 that were homicides in the city of St. Louis this year. Homicides in St. Louis up nearly 100% over the past 100 years, or excuse me, 10 years, I should say. One of the biggest increases being this year, big jump. Uh, yeah, it says on the website, 44, huh? 144 homicides, but mm, let's see, according to the metric, uh, there were 144 homicides in 2010. Fast forward to now we're at 243. So just going back, uh, we're at over a hundred extra homicides than we were just 10 years ago. And has the city of St. Louis grown to make up for it? I don't think it has. The city of St. Louis has not grown. In fact, we continue to shrink in population, unfortunately. Now, the metropolitan area, you can make an argument that we've seen, you know, gains in other places, the county and then St. Charles, seeing a lot of growth over those years. But what have you really seen in the city of St. Louis? You've seen in the last couple of years, some major corporations and companies, was it Centene, but basically saying, hey, you got to get a handle on all of this violent crime. What's the point of us working and headquartering, uh, given a headquarter position and expanding here if what we're seeing is just um, more and more violence? 
Uh, and then you see some of these corporations, the ones that have invested so heavily inside of St. Louis, think to themselves, if I need to open up another branch or expand, would I do it here? Would I consider doing it somewhere else? Is it, is it a good idea for us to hop on side of the city if they can't get this one thing under control? And it's the same old, same old. It's pretty bad. It says crime generates big costs for a society, according to a 2010 analysis by the National Center for Biotechnology Information. It said 23 million criminal offenses were committed in 2007, approximately $15 billion in economic losses to the victims and $179 billion in government expenditures on police protection and other legal activities and corrections, things like that. It is a very big burden that we have to figure this out. And it's sad. And when you look at the individual neighborhoods, we've got so many different neighborhoods that have seen double-digit homicides for the year in the city of St. Louis. Uh, 15 in the Walnut Park West. Uh, you have 12 in Hamilton Heights, 12 in Baden, 15 in the uh, Jeff Vanderloo area, 10 in Wall Park, uh, Walnut Park East. And there's a lot of them that are right around that nine range where they could even see double-digit homicides. And the sad thing is, if you look at all in the individual neighborhoods in the city of St. Louis, there are far more neighborhoods that have seen homicides than those that have not. There's only a handful of the what uh, homicides, uh, a handful of the areas that haven't seen them. It, it's depressing to see this go on over and over and over again. And when I think about when I first moved to St. Louis and I come in as an outsider, someone that's a transplant, I think about the impression that I first received from St. Louis by just doing a quick Google search. Okay, what do I need to know about the area? Click, 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 click. Okay, uh, let's see. Cardinals, great. Okay, here's this and that. Oh, violent crime, number one. Oh, wow, this can't be good. And then you read into it. Think of all the terrible, terrible press and publicity that the city continues to receive and will continue to receive until they fix this. Even just that report that was from Wallet Hub yesterday, I know that you can't really take an organization like Wallet Hub as absolute truth it's not really that great of a scientific indicator of these things but when they come out with this and people decide to report on it us included here at KMOX, it's uh, it gives the impression that this is the most dangerous city in the entire world you know as, as if that if you had to pick between here or you know baghdad you would pick to sit here and uh, you would consider packing your bags which is really not true but that's the impression that you get if you were to just do um uh, a blanket understanding of the area. There's so many things that St. Louis has going for it. It's amazing. All of the different resources and the beautiful neighborhoods and the free attractions in Forest Park in the surrounding areas. There's so many great communities and restaurants. There's just a lot to do in this area. Beautiful downtown, a national monument. Just think about everything that this place has to offer, all of which is put into the back seat because we got that homicide number about to hit 250 for the year. It's depressing. It's sad. we got to get this under control. And think of all the other things that this area could benefit from if we could. It's a sad reminder that it hasn't uh, found an answer to that yet. And I don't know if they will, but I hope they do. So coming up, we, we do want to give you an update on the stimulus package. I only spent a couple of minutes on it earlier, but I want to get some more of your calls on this. Continue to add to the debt. Is it necessary? Do you want to see another package pushed? And what package do you want to see pushed? Coming up on Overnight America KMOX. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. clock at four. Donchich. 
The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.